0: A solid core, freshly drawn wrap wire, and an impossibly thin film coating work together to extend the life of XS, as well as its uncompromising tone. XS, the coated string that's more than the sum of its parts.
1: Hey, hey everyone, this is Chris Keyes from Your Guitar. I'm joined today by Zane Carney. Zane is, you probably know him from Spider-Man on Broadway. He's played alongside John Mayer, uh, his project Evan and uh, Zane, Evan Rachel Wood. He's a man of many talents, and uh, as you can see, he lives inside a guitar store.
0: Guys, welcome to Guitar Center 2.0, Sam Ash 3.0. Well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Zane, I love your uh, studio slash live space.
0: Man, thank you so much. I sleep behind that amp. It's great. Uh, no, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate, and I, I, I live in Los Angeles, California, and yeah, I, I love having this space over here. I'm really thankful.
1: Well, man, uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time, and as people will see throughout this video, the awesome setup you've gone. you got two cameras. It's probably looking better than our side of the camera, so I appreciate it. But we're here to talk about uh, Alter Ego, which is going to be out at the end of April, your new record.
0: That's right. And that goofy little intro, which I didn't even think of practicing, which I should have, that's uh, the rhythm guitar part from one of the songs, Brain Freeze, (laughs) off off Alter Ego. Um, It's a fantastic song name. Yeah, it feels like it, too. The song really goes between uh, ferocious, manic uh, anxiety and calming, cooling relaxation. So uh, you heard the anxiety bit. I should have probably played the cooling bit. That would have been a better intro.
1: <laughs> well, man, let's start with the Telecaster. What makes this one? Because I, I kind of started out the video before we start rolling. I said pick yeah. up kind of the guitar that you're most kind of vibing with and you're number one. You went right for this yes. one.
0: Yes. Yeah, this really is my number one. Yeah, and I had a dream about it last night. I think I was excited about us getting together today. And in my dream, someone was playing a Jerry Donahue Telecaster like this. Um, but yeah, so this is my 1998 Jerry Donahue Telecaster. But it's really not a Jerry Donahue because I changed everything that makes it that. For those who are gear nerds, which I hope is most of us, because we're on Premier Guitar, yeah. uh, the pickups normally on the Jerry Donahue Telecaster are a Strat pickup neck and then a Tele bridge, and then there's a five-way selector. So I took all that out and went with a Broadcaster neck pickup and a Telecaster bridge, and went to a three-way selector. I did that in like probably 2003 or four. Um, and then I sanded down the neck after playing David Kahn's 1952 broadcaster that was just totally sanded on the back. So I sanded down the neck and then I had an ear von- no, a, what do they call this? Buzz feetin? nut yes. put in. Yeah. Put that in. And then I destroyed this part of the guitar by, um, hitting it with my slide during <laughs> the years I was in a band called Carney. Uh, we were kind of a jazz infused, uh, Psychedelic, Beatlesy, Jeff Buckleyish rock band, and we had a song that started off with some delay and really bluesy and scary and sort of New Orleansy. And I would, I would hit the guitar with a bunch of delay on, so that happened. Um, <laughs> and I really have Eric Chaz to thank for this. Eric Chaz is an incredible guitar tech in Los Angeles, and he did most of that work and installation for me.
1: Now, with the, we'll go back to the pickups. Was that something you kind of always? Like, why take a guitar that you bought with the five-way and kind of the little bit more, I guess, air quotes, versatility, because, you know, that's a subjective term, but the five-way, the Strat pickup, and you kind of reworked it into a Telecaster.
0: Right, exactly. Um, The thought behind it was probably naivete I think I was 19 and I was like, oh wow this would be cool if it was a real telly because I love Jeff Buckley <laughs> even though all the work I was doing at that time works kind of the wrong word but all the playing I was doing was jazz 100% at that time and I think what happened was I came to a gig and a guitar that we'll talk about later was in the shop and at that time I didn't have all these fancy guitars behind me so this was one of my three or four guitars I brought it into the gig and kind of apologized I know it's a jazz gig sorry And my keyboard player friend on the gig said, dude, I think that sounds way more like you than any other guitar. I said, "Nah, man, you're not supposed to play jazz on this. You're supposed to play it on my 335, which is, we'll talk about. Um, And then I noticed during it, actually, there is something about the precision and uh, directness of a Tele versus a a humbuckered, sort of mellow, Mm -hmm. jello-y sound. So I went, huh, I wonder if I could get halfway between what's happening with this Strat pickup. Oh, I'll, I'll go online. And I don't know how I found this website, but I discovered Kinman pickups in Australia. Oh, wow. And they're noiseless. And at that time, I was doing local work in LA. I needed something noiseless. Uh, The the power is so bad at LA venues. And uh, he shipped them over. Yeah, try the Broadcaster Neck. Um, And then the Telecaster Bridge. And yeah, so that, that, that really is why I made this guitar into what it is. It was really the jazz background. I want something a little richer, a little more low mids. So let's get rid of the Strat neck pickup, mm-hmm. and then if we're gonna do just a real telly, I guess I'll just go to the easier 3 selector. That was that was the logic behind it.
1: And is, would you say that, cause you're so diverse in your music, your playing, and obviously the instruments that you do own, would you say that this guitar is what you're most fluent on, meaning like how you express yourself?
0: Yeah, it, it is. And I think okay. that's why on Alter Ego, I played this guitar for, every song except for Things You Aren't, which is an homage to All the Things You Are. Um, Yeah, the idea with this record was I want to come in and have my favorite rhythm section of Gene Coy, Jerry Watts Jr., bringing Katise Buckingham to give us some craziness to play around with, and I knew the record uh, had a specific vision, which was basically three things. I wanted to have this combo. I just love playing with Gene and Jerry. I wanted to document that. Mm -hmm. Two... Um, I wanted to capture it on vintage microphones and uh, straight to tape, and then third, to bring it back to this guitar, uh, I wanted it to be fu- pretty much fully improvised because I wanted to capture that spirit that happens when it's 2 a.m. and you're really, really playing, not memorizing a tune. Um, so I came into the studio, I had, I had like 10 guitars. This is all I picked up. because Once we were in there, I realized I need to be able to be nimble and I need to be able to express myself honestly and truthfully, and this is the only guitar that I'm really comfortable with, with in that sort of environment.
1: It's funny how you break down those three kind of hallmarks or pillars that you worked around this project, the Alter Ego the album, is because the it sounds so like alive, so the tape makes sense, the the kind of like, let's do it once or twice mentality, and you're kind of sticking with your, your best friend there.
0: Right, exactly. And I, I think that's definitely in contrast to the other work I've done with Carney or with different artists I've played with where it's, you know, match this sound or... I'll write a song around a guitar, but you're right. There is a different thing in the true jazz and blues world where you have your axe, and that's something you go to battle with. Yeah. I think of Wes Montgomery and his L five. Like it's, you have your guitar, um, and for me, it, it really is this. Ironically, we'll talk about another guitar later that is actually my signature guitar. <laughs> <but> <laughs> this is this is my improvisational uh, uh, spirit wagon. Okay, if that I like doesn't that. Doesn't make me sound too bizarre.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Well, uh, we should probably na- knock out strings and I assume standard tuning before we meet uh, some of your other friends.
0: Yes, standard tuning size 10 to 46. Is that the standard 10 pack? Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, all these guitars that I'm going to show today have D'Addario NYXL strings. I've really been liking those.
1: Okay, cool. Well, should we do you have anything you want to say more about this or we can probably revisit this with the pedal board? You No. Know,
0: that's, that's pretty much it. The last thing I'll say is a lot of people go full broadcaster or full telly. Mm-hmm. And it was my idea to just, I don't know, try a weird combination. I think I bought a full broadcaster set and full telly set. and I think I tried both uh, telly, neck, broadcaster bridge. I think I tried both of them. And what I love about this, you can kind of hear it, you know, just the neck pickup an angry uh, aggression a little bit there's there's more presence maybe but there's also more straight in the middle mids than a mm-hmm. telecast which is more bloomy and more bell-like and then when I go to the, the bridge pickup it still has that twang but because of the way Kim and winds his pickups to me it sounds a little more rock and roll than straight up you know you know yeah. b bender kind of stuff um, so yeah and the middle pickup on this is really unique because very few people have this weird pickup combination, I mean, it sounds mostly like a Tele-Metal. I just, I love all three pickup positions. I love you, give you kisses, I love this guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's meet another friend. Yeah, great. So, let's see. Well, I guess I talked about this, so I'll go straight into this. This is my signature guitar. So this is the guitar I should be promoting. The truth is, uh, and I love this guitar so much, I play it probably these days more than anything because of the nature of lockdown. I'm mm-hmm. doing solo concerts on this setup you see here. I'm doing uh, streaming on Twitch with the same setup you see here. And this guitar gets picked up by the mics because of its you know, fully hollow nature. Um, and then you can hear the amp too. The combination's very nice. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so this is my signature guitar. It's the Zane Carney signature Hofner Jessica and the thing no. is, we we stopped selling these, <laughs> so there are oh. only about twenty in the world, and they've been wow. purchased. Um, and I have two. I have a back, you know, the uh, what do they call it? The production line model back there, and then I have this one, which is the original. So yeah, I'll give you the, the specs on this. this. This thing is so special. Um, now,
1: uh, before we dive in, Zane, I'm just curious, mm-hmm. how did you get hooked up with Hofner? Because they're you know not first of thought when it comes to an American guitarist.
0: Right, totally. So when I was 18 years old, I was studying jazz guitar at USC and I was really dead set on being a straight up jazz guy. There was a, it's a long story, but I was gonna play with Michael Buble right out of high school and then went to USC, played with a different artist named Renee Olsted. And I was just laser focused on that being my only mode of expression. Later on in my life, songwriting, singing, you know, other styles came to be. Uh, So at that time I had a friend named Matt Morantz, incredible saxophone player. He was playing whatever saxophone company is partner with with what's called the music group. And one of the instruments underneath the music group is the Hoffner brand. Uh, They were looking to put together a young jazz group to do the IAJE festivals, to do uh, downbeat magazine parties, all this stuff. And uh, they wanted me to be the guitar player. So I met with the president of Hoffner. I played for him. He said, yeah, great, you're the guitar player. You're gonna be our young artist, jazz guitarist. We have Matt on sax. We have these other instruments, uh, you know, recovered. Um, we're going to give you a guitar. So they gave me a new president, which I'll show you later too. Uh, and yeah, that was, there was a relationship that developed with them, and I loved that instrument. And then I bought this one myself from them at an Endorsey discount. I just, oh, I want, I want this guitar. It's very special. Um, so yeah, I got hooked up with them in college because of okay. my jazz playing.
1: Yeah. I understand. Cool. Well, yeah. now, now, now with that introduction, let's uh, hear about it.
0: Okay, dude, this guitar is so sick. Okay, so <laughs> it's fully hollow. Um, and look at this taper, I think you'll like this. So there's a weird taper which brings the guitar not only closer to your body, but also makes it feedback less because the way the oh. chamber's working. So that's kind of nice. Um, and then uh, the, oh, the nut I messed around with, I put in an Irvana nut on this one. I was super into changing nuts in like 2005, I don't know why. <laughs> so I did that uh, for intonation, I guess. Um, and then everything you see is ebony. So anything that's black on the guitar is fully ebony, except for this pickup, which I think has a, maybe an ebony cover, but obviously it's a, a magnetic pickup. It's a Buscarino uh, P90. So it's like an acoustic-y P90 pickup that he makes, he hand wires. And so I put this pickup in myself, and I asked permission, because I was a kid when I was 19. yeah. So hey, can I change the pickup? Yeah, you bought the guitar. Oh, but I'm a Hofner artist now. Right, but whatever. Okay, cool. (laughs) Put this pickup in um, and it turned this into the most unique sounding jazz guitar I've at this point ever played. It doesn't even really sound like a jazz guitar. Um, And then finishing off the specs, uh, I mean, it's a real simple instrument. Oh, it's a, you know, triple A grade spruce top. I should know more about this stuff. Um, Flame maple or some sort of maple in the back. Dude, honestly, I need to learn more about all these uh, wood things. Um, and then the coolest <laughs> thing is, it comes with these covers. So I don't have them right now with me, but I can, I can grab it in a second. But they go into these S-hole uh, situations right here to block feedback. Uh-huh. So during live gigs, I can bring it down probably 15 decibels, the acoustic noise, um, which allowed me to play this on stage with my rock Van Carney, allowed me to play it on stage with John Mayer, which is eventually how it became my signature guitar. Hoffner saw uh-huh. us on stage and on the Crossroads Festival. They're like, dude. No one knows about that guitar. I said, hey, yeah, no one uses this pickup. Want to like partner with Buscarino and make it a thing? And, and we did. That's um, right. Yeah, it's really cool. And I, I can play it for you a little bit if you'd yeah, like to let's hear, hear, it. hear it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I was about to go into some blues stuff because part of what makes this jazz quote-unquote guitar so weird is that it digs in really nicely, but it also, as you saw, feels really warm and open. Yeah, and there's just one pickup, so there's, there's some weird sounds you can get with this thing. I love it,
1: man. It, yeah, I can't really say I've heard too many jazz box guitars with the P90 like that. That's I
0: know. Cool. And also, what's fun about that, because of the low-end spectrum on it, I play with a Pog a lot, and when I go low-end, it's, I mean, it's... And I do a lot of this with a looper, so I'll build these really massive-sounding, blooming things. Man, that's fun
1: with the the Pog. That sounds fun.
0: Pretty fun, yeah. (laughs) I love this thing. Yeah, man.
1: Well, should we move on to another uh, instrument? Sure.
0: Yeah. So what else do we have here? We have... Another guitar over here. All right. So this is this is my uh, Gibson ES-335, it's a 2001 model.
1: Now, how did you get this and how, how did it become uh, yours?
0: Yeah, so this was a gift from my mom. God bless her, thank goodness. Uh, she knew that I was getting into jazz. I had gotten really into music theory and West Montgomery. And at that age, I think I was 16 or 17, um, I asked her if there was a way we could buy a jazz guitar for me so I could actually get into a good school and really take it seriously. And we went to the store and found this. And it was halfway between what I was comfortable with, which is the Strat behind me, and a proper, you know, open, uh, full hollow jazz guitar. So I got this, um, everything is original in it, all the pickups, all the tuners, everything. And uh, yeah, and it's blue, which I love.
1: (laughs) Now, what makes, uh, you know, obviously the the obvious question is, well, it doesn't sound right or feel right, but what makes, that guitar almost untouchable in terms of its specs and how you kept it true to form versus that Telecaster that you pretty much
0: rebuilt. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, That Telecaster, I had done a few gigs where I noticed it was lacking something for my style of playing, whereas this guitar from day one, it kind of taught me how to play jazz, this guitar, Hmm. and so I feel like there's a sound that's attached to maybe learning harmony and learning uh, relationship between chord changes and all that, that I, I hear in my head when I'm hearing uh, the reference uh, chords. So it sounds like this in my head. So I didn't want to mess with it. It's also really rich and warm. And I like 335s like that. Most of them have a nice presence and a crystally sort of thing on the neck pickup, if you want. Um, this doesn't, this is really rich. So it also, it fills out a thing in my guitar collection that has worked on a lot of sessions.
1: Now, could we hear like, come um, maybe your you know, obviously you got three pickup selection between uh, neck, middle, and bridge. Yeah. Could we maybe hear what kind of how they sound different.
0: Sure. So yeah, this is a little. Uh, God, this is what I played back when I was sixteen, at the Guitar mageddon <laughs> Guitar That was fun. I mean, I'm not gonna play the full piece, but I played around midnight, and it's on this pickup. <clears throat> Let's see. Yeah, let me turn my slap off. Whoa. So that's the neck pickup. The middle pickup has, to me, a very Radiohead kind of thing to it. Like that album In Rainbows comes to mind. And then the bridge pickup is pretty, uh, pretty mellowed out, too. Again, I should have tuned this guitar beforehand, but I think you get the idea.
1: Man, it sounds great. And it's funny how uh, like a 335 for a certain player can do one thing, but it's, it's, it reminds me of like a Telecaster that could go pretty much anywhere. You could see 335, like a lot of people use them for a lot of styles of music.
0: Totally, man. Yeah, I've seen some doo-wop, you know, 50s stuff with it. I've seen shoegaze bands with the yeah. 335. I think Haim sometimes plays a 335. I've seen straight up bebop players do it. So yeah, it's a, it's a really versatile instrument. And this one being slightly darker, it's really even a, a nice thing to have during a recording session if, you know, we need something really mysterious and, and, and milky. But also I brought this into the session for Alter Ego and I just had it sitting there in my guitar closet thing and the band was getting ready for the session that day. We only did three days and I pulled out this guitar and thought, "Man, does this guitar sound good today? And I just started playing. And then the engineer and, and co-producer, Chris Rondinella, just went, "Turn on the tape machine. I didn't hear it go on, so I wasn't in my head at all. And then that ended up being the piece, Things You Aren't.
1: (laughs) That's a great, (laughs) yeah, solo ensemble that you did, or a solo piece you did. Thanks,
0: man. Thank you. And that was on this guitar.
1: And it was really that spur of the moment,
0: like just, Yep. Wow. I think if I had, if I were smarter, I would have kept on the end of the recording. You hear me at the end of the recording say, "Hey man, did, did I hear the tape machine go on? Did you, did you record that? Because that would have been cool." And he says, "Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh, great, fantastic." <laughs> we actually had to do it. We had to do a trick on that recording. We had to pull out some bass because people were still warming up, and the bass was coming through my mic. He was testing things out, so we had to do a trick to get the bass out. It was crazy. Oh, that's
1: awesome. That would have been yeah. fun to have that in there, like one of those, like you know, like you hear like. Bonham's drum still going, you can hear Paul and George, uh, or Paul, uh, cursing. Yeah, it's one of those like nuggets in a record.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, should we meet uh, yet another friend? Yeah, totally. All right.
2: Oh, boy. Let's
0: see. Okay, so this guitar has been really fun recently. So we're kind of keeping it jazzy today. Cause I know we were gonna talk about alter ego and so this is another jazz guitar that I've recently acquired. So this is the Heritage H575, the Artisan Aged model. It's a pretty new guitar. I think it came out a year and a half ago or so. And I did some stuff with Heritage. We announced a new guitar called I think the H150. And um, yeah, they said, hey, do, do, we know you're mainly a jazz guy. You want to uh, try this thing out? And so I, I did, and I, and I really, really love it. Um, yeah, it's really straight up classic jazz. And you know, as you can see, I modified that Hoffner Jazzica so that's it, not really a jazz guitar anymore. And yeah. this kind of uh, supplanted that, uh, that missing part of my you know, full, full hollow body sound. Yeah, I was
1: just about to ask, like, how's that sit with the Hoffner and the 335 kind of living in those jazz-esque worlds? This is kind of in the center.
0: Man, you get it, man. Yeah, you really, yeah, you're good at this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there's the top end, a little bit of that woodiness of the Hoffner Jazzica, and then there's the milk of the the 335, so yeah, you nailed it.
1: And is there anything since you've had this uh, that you've done to it, altered?
0: No. All original, yep. And uh, I, I, I should know more about this guitar. Um... Man, I'm realizing right now that I think when you're doing a Premiere Guitar Rig Rundown, you should know everything. So I nailed it uh, in, in the sense that I didn't. But uh, yeah, man, I they sent it and they said we thought you'd like it. And I ended up not liking it. I ended up loving it. Um, I actually love, I can show this in the on the close-up camera. I love the checking of the wood. I don't really know how they did that. Did they actually have this thing, uh, I don't know, sit in a garage for 20 years? But they did a fantastic job with the finish. Really now, now,
1: having your hands on it, and it's been yours, and you've owned probably how many new guitars, how does that feel? Does it feel like an old instrument? Because I've, I've never owned a, a Relic guitar.
0: Yeah, it really does. Oh man, I'm such a fan of Relics, and yet I don't have any, except for this. Oh. Um, right. Yeah, I love I love how they look, I'm very vain, god dang it. Um, <laughs> but uh, it really sounds, I'll show you right now, I mean, I'm mean, i not sure if you'll hear it as much through Zoom, but it sounds, yeah. I love playing non-jazz triads too on uh, on jazz guitars. I like that how it sounds. But um, even that top B string that reminds me so much of Joe Pass. I love it. It really does that error really nicely, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it has a classic sound to it.
0: Yeah. And then the other Is pickups, I mean, the bridge pickup's pretty smoking. Again, I love putting this pog on different guitars and seeing what happens. Yeah, there's a lot of, I don't know if it's low mids or what, but there's a lot of um, rounded attack. I, I really like that about this.
1: And uh, is there anything else you wanna say about it or anything uh, other tone you wanna show off before we uh, move on?
0: The only thing I'll say is this is my only guitar I think right now with 13s. It comes with size 13s, I believe. And I've been liking that. Just I realized, oh man, I should actually play more guitars that are 12s or 13s, because that's what I started on. I started on actually size 14 George Benson Thomastic Infelds. That was all I played from age 12 to 18. (laughs) Because again, all I was doing was playing jazz. I was convinced that was all I wanted to do. Um thankfully coming back to it with the Zane Carney quartet jazz stuff I've been able to really uh get back to my roots. Um but uh yeah, this uh this reminds me of the pain of learning. <laughs> like, <ugh. laughs> but it doesn't hurt, you know, thankfully the strength has stuck around. Um I'm not bending on it though, so it's th- not that hard to play on, but the richness and warmth uh, of these strings is really nice and uh yeah, I don't know, I'm just looking forward to doing more videos and and records and things on a guitar like this that's really kind of in that Joe Pass spectrum.
1: Yeah, like a sweet spot for that era, like you Yeah,
0: hmm Cool, well, what should we move on to next? I got one more, I mean, I'm going full jazz tonight, so I figured I'd commit. All right, <laughs> so this, this is the guitar that started it all. <laughs> uh, I haven't played this guitar in I don't even know how long. Okay, so this is my Hoffner New President. This is the first proper jazz guitar I got, and it was gifted to me by Hoffner because they wanted me to be in their their uh, you know Young Artist Jazz Ensemble, which I talked about before. Um, man, I practiced so much on this. I would just sight read every day. I would open the real book, and I would play this guitar for you know 45 minutes of, of shedding, and then I'd do another hour and a half of just working on scales and stuff. Mm. Um, so the guitar means a lot to me. Uh, same thing as the Hofner Jazzica. This is all ebony everything, everything that's black, the fretboard, pit guard, everything. And then I put in that same Buscarino pickup because <laughs> I really liked it. <laughs> Oopsie, broke all the rules, sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, yes, really, really nice you know, triple A, quadruple, quintuple A, I mean, it's really, really nice spruce from Germany and then flamed maple on the back and sides really uh, glossy and beautiful. And this is handmade, you know? But uh, the way it sounds is very old school. So um, what's that, man, what's that version of that? So amazing, I have to play this guitar more. Um, really rich, really crispy, uh, in that, again, that Joe Pass thing, which he's a huge influence of mine, and kind of in some ways that Wes Montgomery thing, because everyone knows Wes played with a thumb, that was his thing, and yet, ever since Wes, people turn their tone knob off all the way, generally, in, in jazz settings, as much as they can. And I always think, a thumb has a lot of air, a lot of presence, so that's why I love this pickup. I keep introducing it to my jazz guitars because it has that top end. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of gives me the West Montgomery feel. And growing up, I mean, I, you know, he was basically my favorite musician. Uh, not his smooth jazz stuff, not his melodic stuff even. Just his up-tempo, crazy impressions. Caravan, you know, really intense um, improvisational stuff. That was, that was all I would listen to. And, um, yeah, this guitar... Mm-hmm makes me feel 1% like I'm connected to Wes. So I love this thing. <laughs>
1: if that if that's all it takes man that like, you know that's that's worth it.
0: And that's as close as I'll ever get man. That that genius man. Jeez.
1: Well, I feel like that's uh, all the guitars unless there's any any hidden gems you want to talk to us about and we can move on you to you know
0: amp. All I will say is you can see I have a Telecaster addiction. That's all I'll say. I, I think I have, to, <laughs> man, there are some fun ones. That's the Spider-Man guitar I played on Broadway and that's a backup of the JD Telly. and then this is a custom one the friend made and that's the road-worn Telly. So yeah, I, tellies, tellies are kind of my main speaking voice post my jazz true jazz phase of seven years of guitars like this Mm -hmm. once i uh, sort of started blending with other genres the telly became my voice um but no there's i don't think there's anything else specific i i feel like we covered the the jazziest of jazz guitars that i have i I thought that's fitting because we're talking about the alter ego you know zane carney quartet album which is the jazz stuff i do so Mm -hmm. this is my jazz collection basically
1: all right, so you got your telly back. We're going to start talking about amp, and then we're going to move into pedal board. But tell me about the connection that this guitar had with that amp for your rec- uh, new record.
0: Yeah, man. So this guitar has a very focused thing, but it doesn't have too much low end. So I was thinking, OK, I, I want this jazz record to feel really inspired, and I want to use really unique instruments. I don't want to go just straight up, you know, uh, L5 into a standel and jazz. <laughs> um, so I was thinking, man, how do I, how do, I do this? Um, So I brought this guitar out, knew it needed a little more low end, and then I brought that amp out. So the amp you're seeing behind me is called the Sigmund Sound King. And I wanna quickly take a moment to just say how grateful I am to Chris Sigmund and his work. He unfortunately passed away in September of last year, and he was just an absolute genius. Almost every amp I own is a Sigmund. I own seven of them. Uh, I love him dearly and and miss him, and his genius lives on through his work. I just, he's a genius. He, He was and is. Um, so this is a Sigmund Sound King. I bought this in 2014, it was the first phone call I made. So I, I had talked to John Mayer about doing his tour. Uh, actually it was 2013. So I got a phone call. Hey, do you want to go on tour with me? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Next call. Chris, what's, what are some new Hampshire cooking up? What's the newest thing? Oh man, the Sound King. What is that? Oh man, it uses 300 B tubes. I said I, I don't think I've ever heard of an amp with that. It's like, nah, man, they're for old televisions. <laughs> You're oh, gonna love wow. it. So they're massive tubes. I'll get I got a photo for you to show you. Great. Um, so yeah, it has that, and it has I think octal preamp tubes. So a lot of a lot of headroom, and then the speaker is a 15 inch field coil speaker. So just the fact that it's 15 inches, I think, paired nicely with this guitar. But then the field coil thing, which I don't understand, the genius himself, Chris, did, something happened in the, in the expression between this guitar and that amp, and I kind of decided this, this is the only guitar I'm gonna play through that amp, because there's something special going on.
1: Now, uh, just, to, just to be fair to the audience, we're not actually mic'd up to the amp, so what are we hearing today okay. as you're playing through stuff?
0: So today you're hearing a Sigmund Midnight Blues which is my main amp. Uh, It's the amp I used in Kearney, it's the amp I used on John Mayer's tours, um, yeah, almost every recording session, and it's going through a 1x12 Tone Tubby neodymium hempcone speaker.
1: Now, why'd you land on that speaker?
0: So, this was back in 2004 or five, and I had finally emerged from my jazz, sort of jazz snob phase, to be honest. And uh, I was Googling online, you know, I need to play jazz gigs, but I also love rock. What should I do? Um, Talked to Chris. Hey man, I love your amps. I bought a few from him, a couple. And uh, I said, how can I get a little more headroom? He said, well, my amps, you know, they're vintage old world technology, Zane. They're 1920s to 30s tech. Uh, so at the most we're getting 20 Watts to you, but if we try neodymium speakers, you'll get a lot more headroom and more volume. The magnets just so freaking loud and it's really lightweight too. So he convinced me to buy a one by 12 cabinet, which you're hearing right now. Okay. That's my one by 12. Um, and then, uh, I fell in love with neodymiums and then I had a two by 12 cabinet made with them. Then I had another two by 12 cab okay. made with them. Uh, yeah, and then on, on the John Mayer tour, we had to get a B-Rig made. So I had two amps on stage with him on my A-Rig, and we said, hey, Chris, we gotta build two more of these bad boys, and those have neodymium hemp cones. And yeah, really really cool partnership developed between Tone Tubby, Sigmund, and myself. And yeah, I mean, these four amps, I have four Midnight Blueses. They are freaking one of a kind, but that amp was necessary for the Alter Ego uh, recording.
1: All right, Zane, this is my favorite part of the time. Let's start talking pedals.
0: Yeah. I'm Cause a, big you're pedal a pedal guy. Dude,
1: yeah, dude, I know you are, so let's go for it.
0: So if I may, just to briefly state, I started off as a non-pedal guy, and I think that's kind of becoming clear today. We're doing a lot of my jazz guitars. We're talking about the jazz records. I'm really, yeah, I'm, I'm a jazz guy. What did, what did that mean? Well, that meant from age 12 to 19 when I was a jazz snob, I didn't own one guitar pedal. I did not. I, didn't, I refused to play them. When I played in this guitar-mageddon competition, as a 16-year-old. According to Steve Vai, who was one of the judges in the finals, he said, "Part of what we love about you, sixteen-year-old you weirdo, is you didn't use any pedals. You're the only one who didn't use a pedal on the competition." And I'm, oh, okay, thanks, cool, man. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I had that as a badge of honor, and then at 19, I realized, you know, what what if I had one pedal? And here we are, however many years later, and I, I recently counted. I, I have. Um, I almost don't want to say because it sounds like a uh, gross, but but it, but I. Then again. Is I guess that's what we're close. here for. This yeah. is the place. So I, I have about two hundred and fifteen guitar pedals, give or take five around that. Um and some of them are, you know, vintage old things, some of them are new, some of them were gifted, some of them were purchased. Uh but uh yeah, I, I, I do love guitar pedals. I kinda did a one eighty on my former self. <laughs> <laughs> um but there's a reason why. I, I fell in love with uh what pedal was it that made me fall in love? It was this pedal right here. So this is one of the first pedals I ever bought. This is a Maxon 8999. I went to the uh, Mesa Boogie store in Hollywood and I tried this out and I was messing with all these different settings and it was just so rich and warm and I learned later it was a bucket brigade, which is a specific style. Um so this pedal is kind of instrumental in starting me off on the pedal tip and then I bought like five or six of these because I'd what? have one on tour and one in the studio and one pedal board for small hotel cafe gigs and one pedal board for arenas and there are all these different boards and I realized this is kind of a necessary part of my sound so I'll just keep buying them, um, yeah. So that this started things for me.
1: I've seen it and the many variations of your many pedal boards. I've seen at one point you had two of those on one board.
0: This one does. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I love that pedal. So what I do with that pedal is um, I'll pull it back up. So. So I basically have two settings for this Maxon 8999. One of them is a slapback setting. And I think this is the best slapback pedal on planet Earth. That's just me. Um, Because it doesn't uh, perfectly replicate what you played. Because if you think about it, when when you play at Red Rocks or when you play in a room, uh, you a hall, whatever it is, and you hear the slapback, it isn't your actual tone slapping back. It's a thinned out, wispy reflection of your tone. Because it's not coming from the amp. it's coming from the wall. So most slapbacks, in my opinion, the mistake they make is they take your exact tone, repeat it. And I'm like, that's not a slapback. That doesn't feel natural to me. Mm. But something about this bucket brigade, it spreads it. So you can hear it right now. If I, if I play this, um, here's my guitar without the 8999. Here's it with it. I'm doing a bunch of repeats too. And as you can hear it becomes more spread and thin. So if I exaggerate it even more, something like this. There you go. So that sort of weird, bizarro, spread out decay, that that works a lot better for me for slapback. So the reason why I have two of these on my board is one's for slapback and then one's routed after my volume pedal to be the bucket, if you will, that I pour my swells into. So I can continually swell back and forth without turning off the, um, the delays.
1: And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, yep. but I think it's worth noting is that your tuner isn't first, right? Your, your volume pedal is.
0: Yeah, so my tuner comes out of the tuner out of my Ernie Ball Volume Pedal Junior. And uh, that allows two things. One, I'm not doing extra buffering of my signal. Mm -hmm. And two, yeah, I can have the volume pedal be my full control of volume versus accidentally clicking a pedal and shutting things off.
1: Perfect. Well, uh, uh, I let you lead us, but I'm curious if you still have the rumble mod because I know that's always been like a (laughs) long time friend.
0: Dude, this is awesome that you know that about me. Thank you for, for knowing that, Chris, that's so cool. So this is one of my rumble mods. It's about to get sent out for repair, so I have it off of a board. Um, I love this thing. the the This thing does two sounds really well. It does a Brian May kind of low end has been shelved, I guess, or like a high pass filter sort of thing. Um, and it also gives a really uh, rich, juicy mid-range. So there's a boost setting that I rarely use, and then there's the drive setting. That I often pair with my Hoffner Jazica and it's just dude. I could I could pull up the Hoffner and show you right now, it sounds so good in yeah, my opinion. I think at that point we yeah. kinda have to. Hey, let's do it. Okay, so. And this pedal's gonna give me trouble too. Dude, make sure this All these things have been breaking recently because of the quarantine. I haven't gone to get anything fixed. There we go. Okay, great. So yeah, with the slap back on, this is kind of my main squeeze. It's the Hoffner Jazzica, the, the Zane Carney signature model, and then the Rumble Mod, and then the AD999. Those three pedals basically make up my quote unquote sound, I think. So. idea. Very kind of old world. It's breaking up as though it was through an old small amp. Yeah, I just, I love that HEO rumble mod. And then if I play with my telly I use it as more of a gain pedal. So I turn up the gain and it just cuts right, it cuts through like Johnny Greenwood, Radiohead, John Bryan, really sizzly and, and present. Yeah, so this specific board that we're looking at right now, this is basically my main board the past two years and there are, I think, 18 pedals on it. So it's very specific, it's routed very specifically. Um, Basically, I have all my gain stages up front. So I go into my HAO Rumble Mod, which we've already talked about as kind of being my main squeeze. Uh, Then it goes into a Time Machine preamplifier, which I don't think I've talked to you about yet in this interview. My brother created a guitar pedal company during the quarantine. Quarantine (laughs) effects. Yeah, quarantine effects. So right now I have a three, the three on my board. But I have a whole additional side chain of quarantine effects. It's just six quarantine effects that I put before this board, so I can choose those. But seriously, if you guys haven't heard yet about my brother's company, I highly recommend checking out quarantineeffectsusa.com. Then I go into a Nick Nitro, which is my favorite fuzz pedal. And then I go into a Riza frat which just gives me aggressive overdrive. I rarely use that, but it's nice to have. Can we hear those, I,
1: the fuzz and the, the Sure, the oh yeah, man. So the
0: Reza. I mean, you get the idea, it's just rah, right in your face. So it's really intense. The Nick Nitro is just a freaking joke. Oh, let's see. I will say the setting I have on right now, I pair with my Pog. So I put the Pog on and the Nick Nitro, so it's... it's really super aggressive. Oof. Yeah, it's a lot. I Um, love it though, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, and that's that's part of the fun. I mean, if I had only stayed straight-ahead jazz, I I don't think I'd be uh, as fulfilled or happy. I mean, once I discovered pedals and these sounds, it led me into other genres, and I think that's why my jazz quartet projects, or or, I'm sorry, the the project itself and the records I've made under it, uh, don't quite sound straight-up, straight-ahead because I get to play with these sounds and do some weird stuff. Um, So moving on, we have a Pitchfork, which we'll talk about in a sec, but that's a very specific, special part of this board. We have a Boss Vibrato VB2, a vintage one, not the Wazicraft. And then we have a Deluxe Memory Man, which also has become a big part of my sound, especially after working on Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. This is a true story. Edge, not on this board, because it was a different one at the time, He got down and changed the settings for me. He said, here's what you should do for this. I thought, "You're literally Edge, actually touching a memory man, a vintage one, to give me the setting, are you kidding? This is insane. Yeah, Yeah. it was a really surreal experience. (laughs) Is this really (laughs) happening? Um, He taught me exactly how to do the dotted eight thing, and the the trick is the mix needs to be a lot higher and the repeat should be two to three at the most. I was like, really? Oh man, I was... I had the blend down and I had had a bunch of repeats. That's how you do it? Oh, crazy. Um, I can give an example of that real quick too. Yeah, absolutely. So my setting is very watery. So I, I have this sort of setting. So that's kind of a setting I'll use, a watery thing. The edge setting would be something a little more like this. Um, less feedback. And let's count out the math. Let's see. Uh, let's see. How's it, the dotted eighth note go? There we go. Okay, so maybe something like... And less and less uh, chorus at the most, two or three repeats. And so I have a lot more. It gets pretty loud, you know, maybe a little hmm. bit louder than that. And I do two to three repeats. So, what was that one part in Spider-Man? What was it? It was like... I have no idea. I haven't played the show in forever, but it was something like that. But basically, you play eighth notes while having a dotted eighth delay. So I go... not a great part but you get the idea and I had been doing it all wrong what I had done had I had a feedback way too high and the blend down so I was doing something like and it was just thin and weird and wispy and he's like no man we need those repeats to really sing so he inverted the settings and the rest is history
1: Man, yeah. If you, if you're gonna get a lesson, a quick, you know, down and dirty lesson for on a deluxe Merriam, he's the guy.
0: <laughs> Seriously. So yeah, that was that was that pedal. Um, and then moving on, I have a Keeley Compressor Pro. I don't use it too much because I don't compress my signal that often. But I'll use it if I'm doing a slide guitar solo, or mm. rarely if I want to get into that spanky sort of beautiful stuff that Corey Wong's been doing, stuff like that. I will use it. Um, And then moving on, I have, as you saw, the two Maxon 89.99s, but they're in a different order. So that first Maxon 89.99 comes right after my gain stages and then loops back into the Pog and Delay. Um, Then that goes into my volume pedal. And then out of that, I go right into the Mel 9, which I actually use on this Zane Carney Quartet uh, alter ego thing. Um, There's a song called Minority. It's It's a... Uh, Gigi Grice piece we made it sort of Samba-esque and uh, I thought all right, well if we're doing straight ahead jazz for at least one song on this record I want to do some weird stuff to it so I put the Mel 9 flute patch on so it was mixed in sort of like Strawberry Fields Forever and then I think I also had the VB2 on uh, the vibrato pedal the boss and then I had my slapback on (laughs) my 89.99 (laughs) and then I think I had my Rumble Mod on so it was jazz through those basically, Um, which I can give you a piece, you know, a little taste of, um... it was something like this, less of a mix though, something more, it was something like this, like that and playing jazz with that tone I just I really enjoyed that yeah. so uh yeah <laughs> I love the the
1: like the like you would say the juxtaposition of it like that old school you know with your well versed jazz vocabulary with those funny stacked effects
0: right and that, that, that I appreciate that you noticed that cuz that was the essential goal of the album it was to mix this ferocious intense L.A. jazz scene that hasn't really been documented as much as I think it should be, mixing that with old world recording techniques and then using pedals like this to continue to throw people off um, off the traditional path. So yeah, we had a good time making it, and this this board was actually used in the recording. This is pretty much every single pedal that was on on the uh, on the album. So 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 moving on and finishing this out. So then I have a JHS Unicorn, which is a univibe sort of thing. Um, And I'll use that when I'm just getting aggressive. I'll have the Pog on and the Nick Nitro, and then I'll just go right in. (laughs) Just why not? Get wacky. Um, And then that goes into my Strymon Flint, I think? No, actually, the UniVibe goes into, I think my Maxon 8999, the second one. So check out what having that second one does. So if I have, sorry, I realized that my mic it's making noises. When I tap this, it shouldn't be. So let me move this off of that mic still a little bit. Nice. So, um, if I were to do swells with just the Memory Man, with my normal, uh, let's see, with my normal setting, it would sound something like, and then it would go away whenever I finish the swell. So, that's, that's not fun for me. So what I'd rather do is turn on this AD999 which is after my volume pedal, and then this happens. It gets especially sort of mystical when I add the pog in. So really, that eighty nine 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 is absolutely crucial to everything that just happened because it's carrying my trails with a bucket brigade, milky warm, but spreading as it delays tone. It's like the freaking magic bullet right there.
1: Man, it's funny how that you know just placement, pedal placement can play a big role in how a pedal will sound and how you Uh, work it with another pedal.
0: A million percent. Yeah, I totally agree, and that's why I've built all my own pedal boards. I mean. I have a bunch of boards behind me and and uh, some of them are empty right now, but every pedal board I use is a pedal train. First off, they're amazing and, I, and I'm grateful to them and I love them and I've bought ones from them and they've also sent me ones. Uh, but also the modular thing has helped me quote unquote build 30, 40 pedal boards. You know, I constantly <laughs> am taking things on and off. Um, I learned around age 19 that each gig kind of needs its own setup. You know, if I'm doing a gig, where it's my solo music, I need the looper on the board so I can fly with it. If I'm doing a gig where someone's hiring me, I might need two pedal boards so I can capture every sound from their album. Uh, If I'm doing a gig with someone who's a a real perfectionist, I might need certain pedals next to each other so I can hit them real quickly. And obviously, some of these things I'm creating, some of these problems, because I Mm -hmm. kind of refuse to do multi-effects units, unless there's a really cool, unique approach on them. I, I generally, tend to like having as much vintage equipment as I can. Obviously some of these are new pedals, but um, I like vintage things that break frequently and I have to keep getting them repaired. <laughs> That's my... Just
1: to keep your anxiety levels high?
0: Yeah, exactly. I wanna make sure I'm super, <laughs> yeah, blood pressure needs to be super elevated. Um, but no, yeah, I really, I've spent a lot of time and, and care, uh, f- yeah, figuring out my signal chains and I'll, I'll obsess over it for days before a tour. And it'll be something as simple as, does the fuzz pedal go second or fourth in my chain? Do I want the gain going into it or do I want it going into the gain? Um, So I've really thought this through. And uh, and yeah, and speaking of which, so after all this stuff, it goes into my Flint uh, reverb, the Strymon Flint, which I love. But I will say there've been times where I've popped that out for a cathedral. I love the cathedral um, made by Electroharmonics because it has this awesome reverse reverb. that's, That's so cool, so I love that. Um, and then that goes into my freeze, which also is a huge part of my solo sets. So if I'm doing a gig, whether it's through lockdown and I'm doing it digitally, I do a lot of live stream concerts um, from this space, having that latch feature allows me to finish a song. and say I end a song and I'm, uh, and I'm, I am and i i do not know what I'm doing. Uh, uh. Oh, whoops, I forgot to actually turn it on. So something like this might happen and now i'm in my song in e flat minor, e flat minor whatever <laughs> so i'll change keys in a way that's sort of magical and it pairs really nicely with my final uh pedal in the chain and i while we're on our way there so that goes into my uh Wampler Tumnus, the really small one, mm-hmm. and that is basically just a boost after the reverb. I sometimes love having a boost after the reverb. Past year, I've, I've really enjoyed it, because um, I already have enough gain stage coloring in the beginning of the board, so this gives me just a really wide, wide, wild boost. Um, and then that goes into my final pedal board, uh, I'm sorry, my final pedal, which is the TC Electronic Ditto X4, and I use that like it's going out of style.
1: Well, I, you briefly touched on it. There's a song mm-hmm. on there that is named it. I want to go back to It's Pitchfork. Yes.
0: Yes. Okay. Because you
1: kind of glossed over that, and I feel like that's a unique pedal that gets used probably by yourself in a unique way, to use that exactly. word Exactly.
0: So, exactly. So, the Pitchfork, I um I stumbled upon this at some sort of amp show thing, I think, in the valley, or maybe it was at an amp show, and I fell in love with it. And then I was messing around with it one day, for those uh, liner note nerds, people who read those still, if you go to All Music or, or wherever, you'll notice that one of the songwriters on Pitchfork is actually Mark Foster from Foster the People. So we kind of grew up together playing gigs in LA and one night he came over and we were just writing, just hanging out, and I played this. Let's see. Uh, um Get the idea. So I was just messing around with that. And we were writing and kind of goofing around. Fast forward a year later, I'm in the studio with Gene Coy and Jerry Watts Jr. and Catisse Buckingham. We're doing the, the alter ego thing. And again, we came in with very little, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say compositions because we did have some, but I, I wanted it to be as hands off as possible so we could actually capture that magic we have when we're improvising. Mm-hmm. And the more thought and perfectionism we had about playing the right parts, the more polished it would be and I want it to be bombastic and true to what we do. But I came with this and said, Hey man, uh, we're about to start the third song. We're just messing you know, we're just really going in free form. Uh, how do you guys feel about this thing? And it was basically cool record. And we just recorded, <laughs> just kind of improvised the melody. And then I ended up doing, this is one of two overdubs in the record. I overdubbed a melody, um, that I thought through, but, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's a song that you can't really play without this pedal, so I figured I, because of that I have to title the song Pitchfork.
1: <laughs> now, one of the things I love about, it, especially you going into your pedal world, is like the signature, air quotes, broken sound that you sometimes come up with, and I mm. I, I feel it and hear it on "Love Me, Chase Me." And I don't know if that's like mm. that's what going on there, and if love you can that. recall what you're doing there. With that I love setup. that. Thank you,
0: thank you for bringing that up. So, "Love Me, Chase Me" being the, the single from my old band Carney. Uh, That was through the 335. I think I recorded everything on that blue 335. Um, And uh, I used the HAO rumble mod, and I used the, I've been doing the same stuff, man, for a long time. Um, And uh, I I just love these pedals, I guess. Um, But yeah, I do love that broken sound. In fact, so much so that I recorded the guitar solo to love me chase me on a Sigmund Midnight Special, which is his smallest amp. It's a nine watt, 10 watt amp. And it had an Alnico hemp cone tone tubby in it. And uh, I think it's a, at that time it was a tongue sole 6551 tube and an octal preamps. And uh, I just turned that amp up. I, I'm actually not even sure if I use pedals on the guitar solo. i might have just crank that amp. But yeah, I love that broken, papery, things are falling apart thing, I yeah. do.
1: All right, Zane, thank you so much for talking to us about all your gear, telling us the stories behind it. Now, where can people go online, obviously, to figure out and buy and check out Alter Ego when it comes out in late April, but also what you've got going on in the meantime?
0: Awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, so so the album Alter Ego comes out April 30th on Arenda Records. You can go to Bandcamp to find it or iTunes if you wanted to purchase it. And you'll be able to stream it everywhere starting that date. Um, I think we'll already have had three singles out by then. And then the full album comes out. But um, yeah, as far as connecting with me during these you know lockdown seasons uh, or the lockdown season, I hope there are not multiples um, <laughs> would be on Twitch. So I, I've been streaming uh, three to five days a week on twitch.tv slash Zane Carney. And I use all this gear. So I use these cameras and I use uh, every pedal you see here. And I, I do some live recording and all that, but um, we do a really fun thing on there called One Listen Live Learns, and it basically draws upon my jazz obsession. So one thing that happens when you're playing jazz is you get thrown on stage, or rather you throw yourself on stage and you don't know the tune, you don't know the title of it, and you just gotta hang and play one thing that that developed for me is being able to hear a song once and get pretty close to playing it back after the first listen. So people will send me a song and I'll play it once without pausing. And you just watch me on my iPad, <laughs> like stressed out charting it as fast as I can. And then I sing it back with mel- melody and lyrics. Um, I usually get about 85 to 90% of it. Right. Which is, uh, fun. Sometimes it's terrible though. Cause someone sent me a polyphia song. I was like, okay, oh. come on. dude, dude, well, I, can't, I mean, give me, give me 20 listens, man. Come on. Um, but we have fun and, and the channel has become a really, uh, fun space to explore music theory concepts and connect, uh, with people during this time. So I think that would be a great place. And finally, dot has kind of everything.
1: And and you're obviously, uh, uh, active on Instagram. So Instagram slash Zane Yes,
0: exactly. Thank you for that.
1: Man, I, I think that's a cool idea. I didn't know that that's what you're doing on Twitch. I knew you're doing live stuff. I didn't, that's like a fun, in disguise, incognito way of educating.
0: That's what I love, man, because I had this dream, and I still have it, um, this, this dream and goal I wrote down, which is when I retire from live performing, which hopefully that's 85 or somewhere around there, I don't know, maybe 80, uh, my goal would be to be the head of the music theory program at USC. And I just love music theory, and I don't love it for the classic reasons of getting into the minutia of, you know, quarter tones and Lydian versus super Lydian. I love that stuff, and I and I study on it. But I love connecting with people and sharing, basically, analogies that uh, uh, I don't want to say teach because it's more about us exploring together. But I try to reveal the magic behind the mystery of music. Mm. So if someone hears a chord progression. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. They hear, you know. Just those three chords. And someone says in chat, I love how that feels. And I go, yeah, it's interesting because you have three notes, C, E, and G. And then it goes to E, G, B. Interesting. That's just one note that got kind of removed from, from uh, the family. The family diminished a little bit. Two stayed and then one kind of left or maybe got sadder. That makes sense that you would feel that it's a little sadder. And then you go to the A minor chord and there's this common tone of the C. It comes back, so it feels happy, but there's an A in the bass. So it's a different shade you're seeing of that person. Maybe they left and then they came back diminished. Maybe they came back, uh, not damaged, but um, they've been through some stuff. This C has been through something. So we talk about analogies that help people understand the mysteries of music theory. And at the same time, we do this magic trick of one listen live learns. It's just, it's a blast. And I love connecting with everyone when it's hard to connect because live shows haven't come back yet.
1: Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate your time and just the enthusiasm you bring to these things and guitar in general, Zane. I I love it.
0: Chris, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And I hope we can do this again and get through uh, seven more guitars.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Stay safe out there and keep rocking.